Charleston, South Carolina. When nine of our black brothers and sisters emerged at a study group at the AME Church on a Wednesday afternoon, a few of us decided that it's our imperative to make sure that we're in that social role two weeks later as the church continued its studies. And a few rabbis came into the social role. We embraced the pastors. And I still remember when he opened up looking at the rabbis, he said, here when we teach, there are no footnotes. It just comes from the soul. And I must admit that there were certain moments when I felt a bit uncomfortable, an Orthodox rabbi in the social hall of the AME church. But then I thought to myself, this is a holy place where nine people were tragically murdered because of the color of their skin. It's so important that there be a response, we raise a voice of moral conscience. Hundred people were there, and the pastors, many were sharing thoughts. And suddenly the pastor turned to me and said, and Rabbi, why don't you share? I was so overwhelmed by that moment, and I thought that the best way to share a thought was to sing. And so I thought of one of my teachers, Rip Shlomo, and one of his beautiful, beautiful Migudim. And I started to sing. And all the members started to sing. And someone has told me that to this day on Sundays, they still sing this song. And the song goes, because of my brother,
they sing with harmony. Thank you. 
It has everything to do with power, with the ego. I am a student of Victor Frankl, who says that what drives people to do what they do is that within ourselves we have a spark, a spark of God. And through that spark of God or spark of consciousness, the sun, we are driven to find meaning in this world, to find meaning. And the greatest meaning comes from giving of ourselves to the other. That is not to say that there is no art to receiving. There is an art to know how to receive. When one receives, one is in a vulnerable state. It's a real art. But I would insist that this world is divided between the takers and the givers. And blessed be the givers. Meaning, meaning comes through giving. And the more people who give, the closer we get to redemption. I call that the MGR formula. Through the quest for meaning, through the pathway of giving. If enough involve themselves in that path, redemption will come. That's what push Which there is a 
dialogue between two people. Person one says to person two, I'm so upset with God that sometimes I feel like asking God, why is there so much poverty in this world? Why is there so much sickness in this world? Why is there so much homelessness in this world? And person two says to person one, well, why don't you ask God that question? And person one says, because I'm afraid that God is going to ask me the same question. We have every right to sit on the floor on the ninth day of Av and to challenge God and say, Echah, and say, Echah, where are you, God? How could you allow this to happen? But if you vocalize and vowelize Echah just a bit differently, it doesn't spell Echah, but it spells Ayechah. As we ask God, where are you? And we have every right to ask that question. We should hear the reverberating question, and where are you? Have you done your share? That's why we need leaders. That's why we need spiritual activists. We need leaders and spiritual activists to join in this covenantal mission of redeeming the Jewish people through which the larger world, God willing, will be redeemed. I want to move to another point. I wrote a book called Principles of Jewish Activism with many different principles. I'd like to share with you two of the most fundamental principles of leadership, what I call spiritual activism. The first of these two principles which deal with what spiritual activism is all about, is the following. To be a true leader, to be a great spiritual activist, not only must you love the cause you're fighting for, you must be passionately in love with the people on behalf of whom you are standing up. When I meet men and women that are considering the rabbit, and many are unsure about the rabbit, my first question to them is not, can you learn a piece of pottery? My first question to them is, do you love your people? Do you love Jews? Do you love all people? Do you feel that love? Do you feel that connection? If you feel that connection, You're on your way to Anyone can teach you how to learn a page of Talmud. But to learn how to love, you either have that or you don't have it. The cornerstone for me of my rabbit and leadership and spiritual activism is I'm not embarrassed to say I am passionately in love with the Jewish people. Even with my many critics, And I'm in love with Mishpachot Amin, with the family of the world. But there's a reality. The reality is that no one emotionally has the capacity to love all people the same. I have a special love for my inner family, my wife, my children, my grandchildren, my siblings. I have a special love for my larger family, 
on Israel. And an even, there's an even larger family, as I mentioned, the people of the world. But my strong principle is that a strong sense of Jewish identity and Jewish consciousness does not contradict my universal responsibilities, but is a prerequisite to it. I want to repeat that. A strong sense of who I am doesn't contradict my responsibility to the larger world, but it's the ticket, is the gateway, is the prerequisite for, for loving the larger world. So yes, when there is the largest attack in Buenos Aires in Argentina, the Amia building explodes in 1994, the Amia Jewish Community Center, I feel a special responsibility to be there. When a convent is put up in Auschwitz, and I have deep respect for convents and churches and people of all faiths and symbols of all faiths, but a convent doesn't belong at the largest Jewish cemetery in the world. It's important then to go out there and make a difference. But in no way does that contradict my responsibility to be a rabbinic first responder at 9-11, or to have a rabbi, Ari Hart, who is in the rabbinate in our synagogue, call me one day and say, I've got to go to Greece. I want to help Israel aid as the refugees are coming across the Mediterranean. Very few people know this, that the biggest NGO who greets the refugees, the Syrian refugees, as they come across the Mediterranean, is called Israel. They're Israelis. They're, they're the only ones who speak Arabic. And as the refugees come across, they're greeting them. The great Natan Shrasky proved this point very well. He was a great, great Zionist, a prisoner of Zion, but he was also the spokesperson of Helsinki Watch. He was both, and his particularism was the pathway to his universalism. As Hitler said, an inamili mili, if not for myself, who will be for me? For Shanila Asnibo, not only for myself, more money, what am I worth? That's a cornerstone principle. You have to love, be madly in love, passionately in love with the people of Israel before you can really become a Jewish activist. I'll tell you something else. It's not enough to love. You gotta do something. That's why the Hebrew word ahava is related to the word ha, which means to give. I love you, and therefore I give to you. Or as the great Rabbi Gessler once said, the way it really works is not that I love you and I give to you, but the more I give to you, the more I love to you. It's a behavioral type of psychology. Reminds me of a wonderful story about my father and his memory now. So my parents, when my mother and father were alive, they lived in Natanya, where my father served as the rabbi. And I'm one of the five, five children and the only one living in New York. So when my parents would come in from Israel, where would they come? They'd come into New York. It was my job to pick them up at the airport. It was my great joy. My father calls me one morning and says, Javi, I know that you prearranged to pick us up on Wednesday morning. We had to make a change. We're coming in on Thursday morning. I say, Abba, you know how much I love you. I really love you. 
it's very difficult. I'm just, it's difficult. It's hard for me to change the Thursday morning. My father says, Avi, you know, Ima, my mother does not feel well. It's very hard for us to grab a cab. Please, I, I need your help. I need you to pick us up the airport. I say, Abba, you know how much I love you. You know how much I love mommy. But it's a little bit difficult. Quiet. My father, from 6,000 miles away, he says to me, Avrami, and this is no longer Avi, this is getting very serious. <laughs> the way he called me when I was younger. Avrami, you become a hotshot rabbi, and you don't have time to pick your parents up at the airport. I say, Abba, you know how much I love you. You know how much I love mommy. But it, it's hard, it's difficult. And my father said these immortal words to me. He said, Avrami, don't love me so much, just pick me up at the airport. <laughs>
stand before Pharaoh and speak truth to power. And the text says, And afterwards Moses and Aaron came. And the Medrash, the rabbis asked, And after Moses and Aaron came? They had just convinced thousands of elders to come with them. And the rabbis describe how they were marching together with thousands of elders. But as they marched, one by one, the elders dropped out. Until the only ones who came to the palace, I looked around, I can identify with this, you look around, oh my God! Only Moses and Aaron are at the palace. The movement to free the Jewish people in Egypt, Passovers this week, it started as a lonely movement. That's the way it's been in the 20th century to the 21st century. Dr. Martin Luther King, one of my heroes, not only because of his dream speech, a visionary, but his last speech of come to the mountaintop. Longevity has its place. I can see the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I can see the promised land in one day, one day, one day, we're going to get there. When he started the civil rights movement, it wasn't only his white brothers and sisters who said, Brother Martin, go home. The truth is, his black brothers and sisters said, Martin, go home. You're a troublemaker. And let me tell you something about a troublemaker. Wicked Ahab says to Elijah the prophet, Ocher Yisrael, you're a troublemaker. And when people call me a troublemaker, I wear that like a badge of honor. Blessed be those who are called troublemakers. The civil rights movement, the anti-war movement, started as very lonely movements. You may not know this, but the Soviet Jewry movement was a lonely movement. It took many, many years for the establishment to become involved. It started with Glenn Richter, with Jacob Burbank, who raised the voice of conscience. It started with Yosef Mendelevich in the Soviet Union, they're the real heroes, who said they were going to hijack a plane to raise the consciousness of the world. But it was not a hijacking in the sense that we know it. It was a small plane with 12 seats. They bought every seat. And one of the passengers was a pilot, Mark Dimschitz. And they were going to get on the plane before the Soviet pilots were on the plane. And they were going to fly it out. Not a hijacking as much as the stealing of the plane. And as they're getting on the plane, they know the KGB is following them. And yet they move forward. And I said to Yosef once, I said to Yosef, even if you would have gotten that plane off the ground, the Soviet Air Force would have shot you out of the sky. And he looked at me and he said, we were ready for that. And it reminded me of something that Dr. Martin Luther King said. If there's nothing in this world that you're ready to die for, you're not living. If there's nothing in this world that you are ready to die for, then you are not living. And the Levitch was a lonely figure in the Soviet Union. 
Yaakov Purimel and Glenn Richter were lonely figures, but they spoke truth to power. It wasn't a popular thing to do, it was the right thing to do. It was the right thing to do, and there was no guarantee, no guarantee of success. Ethiopian Jews, I remember that network convention in 78, when a high Israeli official, I won't mention his name, when we rose and we asked, what about the falashas? Not a very nice word. The Ethiopian Jews, and the response was, falashas, malashas. In the beginning, even the state of Israel that I care so much, they were slow to get on board with the Soviet Jewry. They wanted better relations with the Soviets after relations were cut in 67. They were slow on Ethiopian Jewry. The spiritual activists, true leaders, Get there before others get there. Speaking truth to power, truth to power. As Emerson once said, some people go where there is a path, others go where there is no path and leave a trail. Or as Robert Kennedy once said, some people look at the world the way it is and ask why. I look at the world as it should be and I ask, why not? Why not? Why not let my people go and look at the miracle? Why not embrace our black brothers and sisters? Why not? Why not? Why not carve out that trail? But there's one more piece. Those who get there first can't do it alone. Real leadership is negotiating with the mainstream and making sure the mainstream comes aboard. Soviet Jewry would not be free today were it not for the state of Israel. Ethiopian Jews would not be free today were it not for the Israeli Air Force that at great risks flew into Ethiopia to fly our black brothers and sisters out of Africa, not in the bowels of ships to become slaves, but to be free walking in the land of Israel. Soviet Jewry and Ethiopian Jewry would not be free today were it not for the establishment of the mainstream, the only ones who can make possible that 200,000 people, probably many people here, would get to Washington in December of 87 and would raise the voice of moral conscience. There's a great video called Leadership Lessons from the Dancing Guy. You can Google it, YouTube it. Leadership Lessons from the Dancing Guy. Somebody gets up there and is dancing for 15 seconds and there's a narrator. And this is the basketball season. You know, a second could be an eternity. And 15 seconds is a long time. The leader is trying to encourage others to come on in and dance, like I'd be dancing here, and I'm trying to encourage everybody to come on out and dance with me. And after 15 seconds, can you all hear me? After 15 seconds, I make believe this is an Orthodox shul on Shabbat. And after 15 seconds, finally, someone jumps out and is dancing with the first guy. And the narrator says, oh, now he's a leader. Now he's a leader, because before, when no one was dancing with him, what kind of leader are you? You're a leader of no one. You're a Rebbe of no Hasidim. 
Another 15 seconds go by and both of them are dancing. And suddenly a third person gets up and starts to dance, starts to dance. And the narrator says, wow, do you know why the third person got up to dance? Not because of the first person. The first person everybody knows is a Michigana. He's not gonna get up because of the first person. He got up because of the second person, the power of the follow-up. Leadership is not only the one on the fringe, the Mishugayim like myself. It's those who are in second. They're the ones who are more mainstream. People more easily gravitate to those individuals. And then the narrator continues to narrate. And when the fourth person jumps up and the fifth person jumps up, the narrator says, oh, now we've got a movement. <laughs> now we've got a movement. Those two lessons of leadership. Oh, my own soul. You can't lead the Jewish people unless you love the Jewish people. You can't do it. You know the joke, I love the Jewish people, Jews, that's something else. I love all the Yahweh, that's something else. Blessed be the nation that has an IDF, a moral, strong army. But I'm a military grandfather now. Ilana has nine children, seven boys. And when the first one, Gilad, joined the army, she fell on my shoulders and she said, Abba, I'm going to be the mother of a soldier for the next 22 years. Israel is far from perfect. Nothing is perfect. And while I know 
that there are some people coming from right places in their criticism of Israel, I stand before you and I tell you that a lot of the criticism is just a cover for the real stuff, for the real, real stuff, and that's called anti-Semitism. And we've got to stand strong to make sure that no one draws, as Bernie Sanders did the other night, some moral equivalency between the Israeli army and terrorists. She goes for a tzavi shon, she calls me all excited, I yell, she says, Sabi Abi, that's what they call me, Sabi's grandfather, Sabi Abi, guess what? I got noise, they wrote to me, I yelled at Fishburg You have all the qualifications to possibly become an Israeli pilot. Thank God thousands of people, thousands of women got that letter, so we'll see whether she makes it, but they're trending, they're trending. I was with my daughter Ilana during the Gaza War. You can't imagine how difficult it is. The mother of a son in Gaza. Can't imagine. Can't imagine. The toughest month of my life. There was a funeral there for Max Steiner, a senior leader of many from Los Angeles. He was a Hayab Adir, a lone soldier. I said to Ilana, maybe we should go to the funeral. I thought about that. Because my daughter has a son in the army, how would she feel about going to a funeral? I said, but I'm afraid of mine, maybe they won't be a minion. Yolanda says, I'll go. We go to Mount Herzl, 30,000 people show up at the funeral. And Max Steinberg's father stands up and says, My son made the decision to join the Israeli army. I go along with him. And then he said in English, he doesn't speak Hebrew. As the grave was open, I get chills when I tell you this. If you ask me whether I have any doubts, any regrets that my son joined the IDF, I have no regrets whatsoever. Where does activism and leadership need our attention? To physically defend the state of Israel. To 
make sure the world understands that Israel, as it was the front line against the spread of communism to the West, it is one of the strongest front lines against the spread of terror to the West. But I want to say something else. While anti-Semitism is real, I want to say clearly, I do not believe that anti-Semitism is the greatest danger, the greatest challenge facing the Jewish people today. It certainly is a challenge. And I take second place to Noah when it comes to that kind of that kind of defense. You saw the piece that was when Duke was announcing for the presidency when I stuck a sign in his face. You saw when they were they were gentle and they took us out. They were pretty, pretty rough. And they got me to the back room and there were no cameras. That's another, another story. So I know what physical defense is about. I don't say that to impress, but rather just to share a thought. But I'm telling you, more than the body of the Jewish people being in trouble today, it's the soul, it's the spirit of the Jewish people that is in trouble. And while the soul without a body in this world can't function, a body without a soul, without a consciousness, is a body without meaning, without purpose, and without direction. Through the host of Jews debate, your mother, your father, your this, your that, my mentor, Dr. Eliezer Berkowitz, once said, who is a Jew? One whose grandchildren are Jewish. Never forgot that. One whose grandchildren
searching for God, searching for meaning, searching for purpose, searching for spirituality, searching for the message of Torah. We just need the right spiritual leaders to light the spark. That's what we need. We've got to create a, a new culture. The culture is that the highest honor is to serve Judaism as a rabbi, as a teacher. Our best should go into Jewish teaching. Our best should be going into the rabbis, into Jewish leadership, 24-7. Not that medicine and not that Lord is involved. My life was saved by great cardiologists, great cardiologists. And medicine is holy, and accounting is holy, even law is holy. But we need, we don't need another Jewish lawyer. We need more, more spiritual leaders who really get it, who really get it. I have seen this over and over, how the right spiritual leader can just turn a community around. You remember that picture in Katrina country, in New Orleans, of the Zaka, the Zaka relief worker? with Katrina waters up to his neck, and he walks out holding the Sefer Torah in the air. And one of our students, Uri, Rabbi Uri Tavlovsky, and his dear wife, Dalia, they tell me they're going to New Orleans, they're gonna be the rabbinic couple there. I say, Dalia, Uri, you're going to New Orleans? There's nothing there. The synagogue is devastated. And he says, we're going. And we go. And five years later, I had the honor to be in that synagogue when it was rebuilt at its dedication. And the same Torah is being returned to the ark, because it's an Orthodox synagogue, by Judy, the president, returning the Torah to the ark. And on top of the ark were these words I've never seen anywhere else in the world. Mayim ravim lo yuchlu lechabot et ha'alaf. All the wars will not be I'm seeing how one person can make the whole difference. I've come here tonight to tell you that each of you can be those rabbis. You can be formerly a rabbi or informally a rabbi. I'm looking at one of the great rabbis of the world, Karl Hamashak. I am proud to say that the last paragraphs of my book on holistic prayer that took me seven years to write is a profoundly, it's a deep, deep Jewish religious book ends with Rabbi Hamishlag's words, excuse me, Dr. Paul Hamishlag's words. A story that he wrote that I felt really, really touched the soul. Everyone has their capacity. And I'm on a tour, a tour to try to light the fire. Everybody has that fire. We just gotta ignite the spark and light it up. And this is true through the generations. Let's stop this American system that when we hit 70, we have to look like we're 20. We think it's all over when we're 80. The great Abraham Heschel said, our most formative years, he said, at a White House 1961 conference with the seniors, our most formative years are our older years. We all have the capacity to make a difference, to light the fire. And so where do we need leadership today? We need to fight the anti-Semites, but we especially have to be there to light the spiritual spark, the spiritual way. My favorite spiritual activism story is the story of a, of a Rebbe who had the ability to answer any question. 
place to place, or she would go from place to place. And whatever the question, the Rebbe would answer. Came to this one wall, there was a little girl in the back of the room, and she raised her hand and said, Rebbe, Rebbe, I have a question you can't answer. And she put in her hand a tiny bird, which was so tiny, it was the size of a butterfly. And she said, Rebbe, tell me, is this bird alive, or is it dead? And she thought to herself, if the Rebbe says it's alive, it's a small little bird, she'll close her hands and kill it. If he says it's dead, she'll open her hands and the bird will fly free. Rebbe, is the bird alive or is it dead? And the Rebbe thought to himself, this is the question I can't answer. Whatever I'll say should be the opposite. And then the answer hit him. And he looked out and he said, my precious, precious child, you hold in your hand the bird. You ask if this bird is alive or dead. I can only tell you one thing. The fate of this bird lies in your hands. You can let it live, and you can let it die, or you can let it die. Now I want to bless you, and I want to ask you to bless me that when our children and grandchildren ask us, where were you? Where were you when the Jewish people needed you? Let's bless each other that we have what to say, that we can answer openly and forthrightly. I did what I could. I did the best that I can in the spirit of Am Yisrael Chai Bichyeh, the people of Israel live and live eternally.